0: Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. We don't have time. We just don't have enough time. I would love to open with a really insightful illustration for you, like how from the movie Karate Kid, like Daniel's son wants to learn karate, so he goes to Mr. Miyagi to teach him, and Mr. Miyagi has him paint his fence and wax his car, and Daniel starts getting frustrated because he didn't go there to do chores. He wanted to learn karate, and so he confronts Mr. Miyagi. He's like, why are you have me do all this stuff? And then Mr. Miyagi says, hey, paint the fence and then he tries to hit him and Daniel uses the technique that he'd been conditioned with by painting the fence to block the attack and all of a sudden he realizes he was being trained in secret and didn't even realize it. That it was through these simple, mundane, daily tasks that he was learning the skill that he desired. And that in the same way, that's how Jesus prepares and trains us. Not typically with great, big, mountaintop experiences, but with simple, daily, seemingly mundane tasks, Jesus trains and equips us to follow after him and to love like him. I'd love to open with an illustration like that. We just don't have time. Okay, there's so much to cover in this text that we're not even going to scratch the full surface of it. So if you got a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Before we get into it, I want to give you a quick disclaimer. Be prepared to be offended. Okay, this text is like the Oprah of offensiveness, right? It's like you get offended, and you get offended, and you get offended, and everybody gets offended. And a great part of it is, like, none of you are going to be alone. Right, we're just going to offend everybody this morning. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. But before we do that, before we get into the content of the text, I want to take a moment just to share my heart with you and why I do things the way I, do, why I approach them and, and take the points out of a text that I do. I believe that my calling and my job is to as clearly, accurately, and faithfully as possible convey the word of God to you that you might know it, that you might understand it, and that through it, you might be molded and shaped to live and love more like Jesus. I have no desire to be controversial. I have no interest in shock value. I could care less about hot takes, okay? I, I have no desire or interest. I don't seek or strive to offend you in any way. And my prayer is that anything that is said, does, that it causes offense, doesn't come from me. See, sometimes the word of God speaks in such stark contrast to the culture around us or to the values of our own nature that it is easy to be offended by it. And the temptation when that happens is to ignore the word, Let's just not talk about it. Let's put it off to the side. Let's call it cultural or say it doesn't apply in our modern society. Let's disregard the text or let's water it down and let's change it to make it easier to access. I can't do that and I won't do that. Because this is God's word to us. This is a source The only trustworthy and reliable source of truth that exists in this world that we can take confidence in, changing it, diminishing it, hiding certain aspects of it to make it easier to deal with, is not an act of love and grace. It is an act of cosmic cruelty. When the Bible causes offense, it is typically because it is speaking into an area of our lives that has not been surrendered to Jesus. So when offense occurs, it is usually an indication that this is an area where we need to grow. This is an area where we need to shape. And I want to give you this for peace of mind. There is never a sermon I've preached to you that I didn't preach to myself seven times beforehand. So I'm not saying anything to you that I didn't just yell at myself a bunch of times over and over. So usually if my volume goes up, it's because I'm mad at me. It's never because I'm mad at you. When the Bible stirs in us, Runs contrary to our own values, views, or beliefs. When it causes us offense, we can respond in one of two ways: either we will follow our desires, which builds that offense, offensiveness, or we will follow God's design, which leads to faithfulness. So let's get into the text. Ephesians 5, verse 22, wives, submit. Okay, let's hold on right there. That is a lot to unpack, all right? We got some work to do here, right, right? We live in an age of liberation, in a world that is sinfully obsessed with our own rights and freedoms. I don't mean that rights and freedoms are sin. I mean that the obsession and the pursuit we have of them has become sinful. And what the Bible says runs in stark contrast to the natural desires of our condition, of our hearts. Even the word itself is triggering. What I, what I wish I would have been able to figure out a way to do is to have one of those little number things, you know, like they have at the DMV. When he came in, you could have just grabbed one of those and I could have just been like, okay, number 13, no offending, number 13. Because like that's how this is going to go, right? The word submit, it's offensive to us because we assume or we think it carries with it this meaning of subjugation, oppression, and inferiority. What it actually means, so much worse. (laughs) The fact that the Bible tells us to submit assumes that there is a being or authority that has the right to speak into our lives and tell us how to live, and that is offensive to the very core fabric of our sinful condition. We have to be careful with this text. Otherwise, it will become the field upon which the battle of the sexes will rage. Men and women fighting for control, fighting to determine who gets to call the shots, who gets to be the boss. So before we dismiss it as irrelevant or cultural or not applicable today, let me just remind us of one thing. The author of this is the same God who created men and women in his image. He is the leading authority and expert on both. And what he is providing us here is a keen teaching and insight into how we were made by design meant to be connected. And we would be wise to listen. See, if we can have the humility to listen and the openness to receive, this text that seems so offensive actually becomes one of the most beautiful and life-transforming passages in the entire Bible. Let's try this again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, hold on. Uh, That's a lot to unpack. (laughs) We're moving real fast. Anybody pack a lunch? Because we're going to be here for a while. Okay, so out of the gate, we've got... Wives. And we've got husbands. Indicating that biblically there is a clear distinction between men and women. (laughs) This is going to be a lot harder to offend you than I thought if you guys are going to just jump on that. Okay. See, we live in a world that says who you are, what you are, that's your choice. Whatever you want to be, your gender, your sexuality is up to you. So if you decide that you're a unicorn from another planet made of string cheese who sneezes rainbows and cries gummy bears... That's who you are. And that's the truth. And the rest of us are morally and ethically bound not just to accept that, but to celebrate it. And if we don't, it is because we're alien unicornophobic. <laughs> the world says it's your choice, it's your decision. You get to pick. Now, listen, I'm not by any means trying to slam or dismiss or be critical of any group of people, but here's the deal the Bible doesn't say we choose, the Bible says God made. That there's a clear. (laughs) Now, how we treat people who don't agree with this is completely a different issue. How the church has handled that, not always great. But, God made that there's a clear biblical distinction between men and women. Number 18, now offending, number 18. But if that wasn't bad enough, what it also goes to say is that God has designed different gender roles for men and women within the household. That there is a divinely designed order to marriage. That certain things were made for, not everything, certain things were made for men, certain things were made for women, and there's a difference. So now we're offending number 22. Anybody got 22? (laughs) Stick with me here. Because this is actually a beautiful thing. When we understand it, When we recognize what it is, there is a distinction between men and women and different roles that we play in the relationship, but we need to clarify some things first. So, third time's a charm. We're going to get through the first verse of this thing, if it kills me. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We did it. Here's one of the biggest problems with this text. It has been historically and holistically abused for a long time. If you're a woman in the church and you've heard this text taught before, you've probably been mistreated with it. Because for so long, the attitude and posture of the church is that wives needed to just do what they said. And they use weak, cowardly, lazy religious men use this text to demand dominion over their wife because for so long the attitude was, if you're a woman, there's two things you're good for, making dinner and making babies. So know your place and stay there. That was the attitude. That was the approach. That was the use of this text. Godly, supposedly men, used this to try to subjugate and keep women in a very small box so that nobody was challenging them to grow and mature the way that God challenges them to grow and mature. And so it has been misused. It has been absolutely, completely abused. But the solution to God's word being abused is not to disregard it. It is to understand it correctly. So the first thing we have to do... is to define what this does not mean. This doesn't mean that there is spiritual inequality. Okay, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, Genesis 126, God says, let us make man in our image, and male and female he created them. God made male, God made female. He made both in his image. No matter what the world around us says, there's a difference between men and women, but the difference is not in their value. Men and women are made for different purpose, but are of equal value. Both are made in the image of God. So here's the deal, right? We hear this all the time in church. Oh, we're made in the image of God. Guys, you are not the image of God. Ladies, you are not the image of God. You are part of that image. And it is only when we come together according to the design and purpose that God made us that we get to see the full picture of who God is and what he's revealing to us about himself in that. We are only a complete picture of the image of God when we are together correctly. We are two pieces of the same puzzle. Different, but equal. Each one reflecting a portion of who God is. Each one has the same value. The second thing this does not mean is that all women are to be in submission to all men. Sorry, traditional church of 20 years ago. That's not what it means. But this is about husbands, and this is about wives. And many, if not most, of the issues that occur in Christian marriage occur because we ignore, neglect, or dismiss God's design for the roles of gender and how we are meant to connect with one another in marriage. So we start with the wives. Wives, be in submission to your own husband. Number 28. Now offending, number 28. Did I do 28 already? I'll offend you twice. It's cool. (laughs) That does not mean that your husband is the Lord. Hey, I know, like, wives, this is super shocking for you. You're like, really? Like, my husband, he's just so close to perfect, it's easy to forget that he's not Jesus. Like, guys, you can't see this, but, like, the collective feminine eye roll was palpable in the room, Like, my mom told me when I was a kid, like, if you roll your eyes, you know, they're going to get stuck that way. Here's how I know that's wrong. If that didn't cause it, nothing will, right? So it is not submit to your husband because he is Jesus. It's submit to the husband out of your love for Jesus. What this means is that what you are called to do and how you're called to treat him is not conditional on him. It's conditional on your love for Jesus, You're not submitting to him because he's better than you, smarter than you, more capable than you, more worthy than you. You're submitting to him because Jesus calls you to do it. And while your husband may not always be worthy of that submission, while he may not always be worthy of the attitude and approach you take to him, Jesus, who calls you to do it, always is. Here's where it gets messy Not all husbands are good, godly leaders. Are you saying that I should follow my husband into sin? No. Never. Okay. This is, right, your husband's an authority. He's not the only authority. He's not the highest authority. Well, does this mean that I don't have any voice? I don't have a right to challenge your question? Absolutely not. I remember my first church. This couple came to me and the guy's like, hey, we need to do some biblical counseling. Uh, And so i sit down. And so I'm like, what's the deal? And he just goes, I need you to fix my wife because she's being a terrible godly wife. It's a strong start. We're doing good. And I'm like, I've been in pastoral ministry for like 12 minutes at this point. It's like my third counseling session. I'm like, this is my opener. This is my training. Awesome. So "So tell me what's going on. He said, well, I had this idea. As the man of the house, it's my job to provide and take care of the house. So I had this idea that I wanted to go into the crawl space under the house, and I wanted to light a fire to help heat the house and save on our utility bills. And he was furious with her because she wasn't submitting to him because she said, I don't think that's a great idea. I'm like, cool, thanks, Jesus, for this opening counseling session. So I said, you know what, man, you're absolutely right. She clearly doesn't get it. You light a fire in the crawl space in your house, that is a great and effective way to reduce your utility bills. Because I'll tell you right now, that'll heat your house real good for like three hours. And then you won't have any utility bills because you burned your house down, you nincompoop. Like, stop talking, listen to your wife, get out of my office. Like, that's the thing. To be in submission to your husband does not mean you reduce your voice or your value. It doesn't mean that you don't challenge or question your husband. It doesn't mean that you are inferior in any way to him. Submission is not about the what. It's about the how. It's about the approach that you take and how you honor your husband in your relation, a relationship. So what happens? Typically, the default of our condition is we want something. If it doesn't align, we fight. And so the wife has learned she's not going to get what she wants. She needs to fight harder. She needs to take control. It goes all the way back to the fall, but she's trying to lord over her husband. Our default condition is okay. If he's not going to give me what I want, I'm going to force him. And so a lot of times, the approach that wives will take to their husbands is to nag, belittle, complain, and criticize. And then the husband fights back, and they're like, well, this isn't working. Yeah, it doesn't work. What the Bible is saying is there's another way to achieve the same result. There's another way to get the results that you want. See, ladies, your husband is made to fight. He's either going to fight for you, or he's going to fight against you. And which he does will be a reflection of how he perceives your treatment of him. So here's the secret. You approach your husband with gentleness. You approach him with sweetness. You honor him in a way that makes him feel respected. I promise you, you're going to get what you want more, and you're going to fight less. This is the way of it. it was, well, that's ridiculous. I shouldn't have to demean and degrade myself. If you think being nice and kind and loving to someone is being degrading, then I don't understand your definition. You think that treating your husband the way that you would treat a friend who didn't live in the house with you is degrading. I, I don't understand So ladies, I'm going to give you a trick, right? A simple little tool to manipulate your husband in order to get what you want, and he will thank you for it. Okay, again, so if you don't like the word manipulate because you think it has, you're you're incorrect, but if you think it's bad you don't like that word, let me show you a magic trick, okay? Here's what you do. It's a simple formula. Men repeat what gets rewarded. We're like puppies. You got to train us. The problem is the default way in which you approach that training is wrong. You're going to go, well, okay, you didn't do it right. I'm going to spank you. Okay, you didn't do it. Well, okay. Uh, sorry, I'm in a bad way. This is, I need to sleep more. Uh, you didn't do it. <laughs> I'm fired. All right. <laughs> Right. So the, the the default is like, okay, I'm gonna nag you, I'm gonna criticize you, I'm gonna push you down, I'm gonna make sure like that you learn this lesson because if I complain at you enough, then you'll just give in and surrender. That's the typical, like, kind of default approach in many cases. Oh work. So here's what you do you celebrate your husband when he does something right. You make a spectacle out of it. Right? Parade, confetti, I mean, you just go nuts, and it's gonna feel stupid. Right? You're going to blow everything out of huge proportions. Like, oh, you put the plate in the sink after dinner, something I've been asking you to do for 15 years, and you did it once? Let's go to Disney. You're amazing. <laughs> right? But that's, it feels so weird and so dumb, but here's the deal. If you make him feel like your hero, you make him feel like the knight who stormed the keep and climbed the tower and slew the fire-breathing dragon because he put trash in the trash can, you know what he's going to do? He's going to do that again. (laughs) Men repeat what gets rewarded. And his greatest desire is not just to feel like a man. It's for him to know that you think of him that way. So in your approach, you can either attack him and criticize him and then kind of treat him like he's your kid and you're mothering him and every man on the planet is going to resist that. Because it's insulting and it's demasculating. Or you can build him up, make him feel like the hero that he desires to be, no matter how stupid the task is that he does, and he will desire to do it. Because if you make him feel respected, if you make him feel like a man, he will want to do things for you because you made him feel that way. If you make him feel like a champion, he will be your champion how exactly that works, what we do to create that, that's different in every relationship in every household. But what the Bible calls us to, what the Bible calls you as a godly wife to do, is to honor your husband and treat him in a way that makes him feel respected. Do that. And it will change the course of your marriage and of your life. See, in the Old Testament, there's a book called Song of Solomon. And in the book, the, there's a, basically a couple writing love songs back and forth to each other. And the husband writes to his wife, describes her, and calls her his Engedi. And Engedi is a paradise oasis surrounded by an arid desert. It's a place of peace, of comfort, and of rest. That's how he feels about his wife. In a hostile world of Exhaustion and fatigue of overbearing heat, she is his place to rest. She's the place where he finds peace. She's where he wants to go for comfort. Is that how your husband would describe you? And if not, you've got some work to do. Number 88, now offending, 88. Before we try to go like, oh, the Bible's a chauvinistic book written. It's all sexist and a bunch of men did all this. Let's be clear because it's easy to lose sight of context. The verse right before this section, Paul says, submit to each other in Christ Jesus. We are called, we honor and we demonstrate our love for Jesus by serving one another and placing the needs and desires of our Christian brothers and sisters ahead of our own because to follow Jesus is to love selflessly and sacrificially. This is not just for women. This is not just for wives. This is a universal call for all who follow Jesus. We are all called to submit to one another because when you follow Jesus, the focus of your life will never be on yourself. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water through the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So, the modern sort of feminist girl power thing goes, Oh, the Bible says the man's the head. That's not fair. To which I would say, You're absolutely right. It's not fair. And when you understand what biblical headship is, you will rejoice in that. Anyone who desires biblical headship does not understand what it actually is, it's not control. It's not power, it's not being the boss, calling the shots, making the, wielding all the influence. It's sacrifice, it's service, it's self-denial, it's responsibility, it's sleepless nights and it is a burden that you put on and never get to take off and no one who has shouldered that burden would willfully pursue after it. So ladies, if you're like, okay, you came at us pretty hard, I'm not super pleased with you right now, time for me to make it up to you. Husbands, you are given authority, but not just authority. You're given the blueprint for how to use it. You are to lead your wife in the model of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He was without sin. But he took responsibility for all sin, paid the price for all sin. Though he was innocent of any sin, Jesus took the punishment for all sin upon himself to spare us, who were deserving of that punishment, the price of the sin that we did commit. That's headship. That's biblical authority. It means you take responsibility, you take the hit, you take the punishment, even if you're not the one that did it. You are the shield, and nothing touches your family without getting through you. That's how good. be like. Can I switch? Right. I'd like to submit thing. I would rather go back and do that. It's so much better. Okay. So much better to have the submit side. Because guys, your job is to love your wife the way that Jesus loved the church. And what did Jesus do for the church? He died. You are to lead her with a love that is willing to die for her. And I'm not just talking about some, like, grand gesture. You're the lead character in a Nicholas Sparks movie kind of way. I mean, the daily death to yourself. It is putting yourself aside, putting your wants, your interests, and your needs off to the side to be what she needs. Because your wife should know that she's the most important thing in your world outside of Jesus. And if she doesn't know that, the solution is not, let me sit down and explain to you, honey, why you're wrong. It's you've got work to do. We are called to love our wives the way that Jesus loved the church. So let's get practical with this. As you are to be the spiritual leaders of your house, how can you be the spiritual leader if you haven't been where you need to go? You can't lead people where you haven't been. And a lot of times what happens is our wives struggle with this, not because they don't desire to honor Jesus, but because we have been negligent in our jobs. Because we have been lazy in our approach. You are the spiritual leader of your house. That means you need to be praying for your wife every day. Not, and not, listen, not just like praying that she realizes how lucky she is to have you. That's not the one you're aiming at. It's not, oh, I hope that she realizes that she's right. God, show her how right I am so that she'll just listen to me more. No, you are praying for her spiritual growth. You're praying for her heart. You're praying good for her. And you, as the husband and the spiritual leader of the house, need to be devoted to your own spiritual growth. That means you're spending time with Jesus in prayer. You're soaking up the word and seeking to understand it because how can you be the spiritual leader of your house if your wife is more spiritually mature than you are? But look, I get it. We don't start. That. Sometimes we don't start that way. It's one thing to not start more mature than her. It's another thing to stay less mature than her. If your wife has a closer relationship with Jesus than you do, your order is out of whack. And it is your job and responsibility in honoring Jesus to catch up to her and to pass her. This Authority, headship that you're given. It's not a gift, so you get to win the arguments. It's a challenge. Because many of us, even though we are hardworking physically, are very lazy spiritually. This is a call to get off the couch and get to work. Number eighty-nine. Now offending, number eighty nine stop being lazy. Just because you're a man doesn't mean you get to demand that she do whatever you want to do. Because if she's closer to Jesus, she's got more right to talk about what Jesus wants than you do. That's not the way it's supposed to go. So you need to grow up and mature. Okay. So here's my challenge to you guys. Don't ever quote this text at your wife. Right? That's a great way to spend the night on the couch. Okay? Don't do it. Don't ever Demand her submission. Your job, your mission, your purpose in Jesus is to be the kind of man that she desires to submit to. No matter how strong, smart, capable, or independent she is, you need to become the kind of man that she desires and delights in submitting to. So some of you got your work cut out for you because your wives are awesome and you're going to have to catch up. Be worthy of her submission not demanding of it. The question that you need to ask yourselves, is my wife more like Jesus because she's married to me? And if you cannot confidently answer that with yes, you've got work to do. See, I told you, we're gonna offend everybody. You got it. Oh, just line them up. We are called to live and to demonstrate the love of Jesus to the world. To show the world and to love the world the way that Jesus loves them. How do we do that? At the end of the day, we are still imperfect people, right? We still struggle with ego, with sin, and with selfishness. So how are we supposed to love people with the perfect, selfless, sacrificial love of Jesus? Practice. Training. See, like Mr. Miyagi, Jesus gives us simple, everyday tasks to train and prepare us to love more like him. This is the point of marriage. The biblical purpose of marriage is not just happiness, it's holiness. Marriage is the arena in which we train to love someone else with the selfless, sacrificial love of God. And what God does with this, it's so brilliant. When you can get past the ego and you can get past the offense, what it says is this. See, wives, women, are wired for love. So typically, a woman will feel respected when she knows she's loved. Men are wired for respect. And so typically, a man will feel loved when he knows he's respected. And so what does the Bible say to do? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. It's teaching us each other's love language. It's teaching us how to effectively love one another. And what this does is so incredibly powerful when we apply it. Because look at what happens here, right? Wives submit to their husbands. That means they place themselves below him and serve him. Husbands, you love your wives. To love is to treat someone as more important than yourself. So they place themselves below her, and they serve and love her. She goes, wait, I'm supposed to be in submission to you. And he goes, no, no, I'm supposed to be loving you. And he's focused on meeting her needs, and she's focused on meeting his needs. You see what's happening? Who's meeting the wife's needs? The husband. Who's thinking about the wife's needs? The husband. Who's meeting the husband's needs? The wife. Who's thinking about his needs? The wife. Both parties are having their needs met. Neither party is thinking about themselves. This is the design to learn how to love selflessly to focus our hearts on meeting the needs of other people. Look, you don't have to be married to apply this because, again, we're all called to submit to one another. So God didn't just create this in the marriage. The marriage is a microchasm of it, but the church is an even greater sphere in which the same truth is called. When we are focused on meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters, on thinking of them and taking care of them, we become the vessel that meets their needs. And when the church is operating correctly, other people in the church become the vessel that meets our needs. Everybody's needs gets met. Nobody's thinking about themselves. We're learning to to be selfless by simply being obedient to Jesus. That's the brilliance of this design. He, Jesus he doesn't just say, do it, he teaches us how. By using the relationships that we already have in our simple daily life, by doing what Jesus says to do, we learn to become more like him in a beautiful dance. Of self sacrifice for the good of others. Because, guys, this is something that women understand better than we do. It means more if you don't ask for it. Right? It's the whole argument that happens, right? I want you to, like, I did the dishes. It's like, I don't want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. What kind of psychopath wants to do the dishes? No one. It's a crazy expectation. But the heart is re- revealed in that. We don't just want to be loved or respected, we don't want to have to ask for it. We want it to be given. And that's what Jesus is teaching us to do. To meet the other person's need. To fill their heart without them even having to ask. This is a demonstration, right? All of this is a demonstration of what Jesus does for us. Because that's what he's talking about. He's not just talking about marriage. He's talking about Christ in the church. Jesus, who was innocent of all sin, takes the price for sin, dies on the cross, raises from the dead to bring new life to us, not because we asked, not because we called out to him, but because he loved us and he took the initiative to do that. Jesus led first. He met our needs before we ever asked for it. And now he calls us to do the same, to be his examples, his ambassadors, his agents in the world. And today, today, We get a really exciting demonstration of that. At one o'clock, we're going out to the beach and we're going to see lives surrendered to Jesus as people make a public declaration of faith through baptism. It's one of the most exciting things that happens in a church. We have like 32 people signed up. (laughs) So. This is what baptism is all about surrender to Jesus to walk a new life in Him. What Paul's teaching is here is not about your value. It's about how to walk out the newness of life that Jesus gives out of your love for Jesus in the most impactful and important relationships in our lives. Because our life should be a declaration of the gospel. And when you love the way that Jesus loves, It is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are no words to express the depth of gratitude we have for the love that you gave. That you didn't leave us to our sin, that you didn't abandon us in it, that you didn't let us experience the consequences of our choices, but that you rescued us from it. That what you did wasn't fair, but it was gracious and loving. And God, I pray for those who are making the declaration of faith that they want to live their lives for you today, that this would be the first step of a great journey. And for all of us, that we would be growing every single day in an understanding and appreciation for your grace that transforms the love and the grace we have in how we treat other people. May we be shining examples of your love that the world may see us, see our lives, our good deeds, hear our words and praise you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace. Amen.